With approximately 100,000 diagnosed cases in the U.S., sickle cell disease is considered rare, but it's all too common in one segment of our population. It most commonly affects African Americans. One in 400 African American babies will be diagnosed with sickle cell disease in the United States. And those patients born with it are often faced with severe, really debilitating pain that more times than not for younger children brings them into the hospital for treatment of that pain. On today's show, we'll learn about sickle cell disease and research aimed at better understanding the acute and chronic pain it causes. It just feels awful, like someone's just stabbing me. That's when I like realized, oh, this is serious. This isn't a joke. It's all inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Sickle cell disease affects about 100,000 people in the U.S. and millions more worldwide. And while it's the most common inherited blood disorder, as you're about to learn, it can affect a patient throughout their entire body. To better understand sickle cell disease, we met with Dr. Julie Panapinto, professor of pediatrics, division of hematology at the Medical College of Wisconsin and a key member of the sickle cell disease program at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. To simplify our understanding of this very complex disease, she explains that sickle cell disease stems from the hemoglobin protein found in our red blood cells. Hemoglobin is in the red blood cell, and the hemoglobin protein in sickle cell disease is abnormal. So there's a substitution of that component of that protein that in the end results in this abnormal protein. What exactly is the function of the red blood cells in our body? Red blood cells help you carry oxygen throughout your body. And when you have an abnormal hemoglobin, you don't do that as well. The function of the red blood cells is significantly affected by a change in the structure of these cells. So healthy red blood cells are described as disc-shaped and very flexible and can move throughout a blood vessel and change its shape because it's soft. A sickle red blood cell is shaped like a sickle or a crescent shape. It's very rigid and thus moving through the blood vessel is more problematic. Leading to the many symptoms of sickle cell disease. We'll hear more about those later. But first, is sickle cell a singular disease or are there many different types? There's many different types of sickle cell disease, but one that's the most common, which is when you inherit a sickle hemoglobin from both of your parents that together give you the disease. And that's the most severe form, which we refer to as sickle cell anemia. 
So what then is sickle cell trait? That's when you inherit just one abnormal beta hemoglobin from a parent called sickle hemoglobin, and you get a normal beta hemoglobin from the other parent. So with just one of those being abnormal, you have what we call sickle cell trait. Who does sickle cell disease most commonly affect? Dr. Panapinto says it largely affects one specific population, but it can affect others. In the United States, it most commonly affects African Americans, but also can affect Hispanic population, Indian Asian population, Middle Eastern, and Southern Europe where the Mediterranean population lives. When and how is sickle cell disease most commonly diagnosed? Sickle cell disease is part of our newborn screening testings, and sickle cell disease then is diagnosed within the first week of life for newborns in the United States. One in 400 African-American babies will be diagnosed with sickle cell disease in the United States. Is this type of newborn testing for sickle cell done outside the U.S.? That is not necessarily done outside of the U.S. It is in some countries, but in many, including countries within Africa, some of them are just starting to do this, but most of them are not diagnosed until they exhibit symptoms of the disease. Speaking of symptoms, they can appear right from infancy. Complications can start from the very first months of life, and that's part of why the sickle cell disease community advocated strongly to do newborn screening. Dr. Panapinto tells us about one acute complication that often strikes babies. Babies can have a specific pain event called dactylitis, which is pain in the hands and feet. They present with swelling from the wrist down or the ankles down. It's very diagnostic of sickle cell disease. And these pain episodes can continue to increase and intensify with age. So we know from the research we've done in sickle cell disease that they tend to happen more often as children get older and continues to get worse from 18 to 30 years of age seems to be the highest risk group and then seems to plateau after that. These pain episodes associated with the disease are often serious and debilitating. Many of our patients describe strong pain that prevents them from really doing anything, and pain events can last for days in a hospital setting. So that's how severe they really are. Unfortunately, they're also repetitive, yet generally unpredictable. For these patients, they happen time and time again, and they have very little ability to determine when a pain crisis is going to happen. Dr. Panapinto says it's important to understand that sickle cell disease isn't just a blood disorder, it's truly a multi-organ disorder. Crises can also happen in the chest, where the patient has trouble with breathing, the brain, where they're at risk to have stroke and learning problems, problems with the function of their kidneys, their heart where they're at risk for sudden heart events, chronic changes to the eyes where they lose vision, sores that are hard to heal over time, and then joint replacement because of the damage to the joints or the bones. The good news is, today, disease-modifying drugs are available to treat patients. In the late 1990s, the first study came out using a medication called hydroxyurea. It was a medication that had been used for many, many years prior in other illnesses, including cancer. We found out it makes baby hemoglobin. By doing that, you make less sickle hemoglobin, and that's very protective for our patients. And being able to treat these acute pain crises is a game changer. If the patient takes this pain medication daily, their hospitalization rates drop almost to zero for many, many of our patients. So that, we think, has been a game changer because we're preventing these crises from happening. More good news 
For some, there can be a cure. There is a cure for it, and the cure is bone marrow transplant. So it's the donor stem cell that takes up in your own bone marrow and regrow cells that are normal. But it's not a cure for everyone. The lowest risk transplant is done with a brother or sister that is a perfect match. And there's only a one in four chance that your brother or sister will have the same gene background to make the lowest risk transplant successful. Which is why more bone marrow transplant research is being done. A lot of research is now looking at mismatched or non-family member donors to help support that cure. And there's ongoing hope for advancing the science in treating sickle cell disease. There's a lot more advocacy around this disease. That is really nice to see for a disease that carries a lot of stigma. I would love to see that continue, both from a scientific discovery standpoint, in addition to patient advocacy, because I think it's really helping to improve patient outcomes. As we now know, sickle cell disease may start out as a blood disorder, but the fact is, it can affect a patient in areas throughout their entire body, often manifesting in pain for those who suffer from it. To focus more on the pain aspects of sickle cell disease, we met with Dr. Amanda Brando, Associate Professor of Pediatrics, Section of Hematology, Oncology, and Bone Marrow Transplantation at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and another key member of the Sickle Cell Disease Program at Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Dr. Brando begins by telling us many sickle cell patients have both acute or intermittent and chronic or persistent pain. We have recognized for decades that patients with sickle cell disease have these acute painful crises. However, over the last decade, the recognition of chronic pain and sickle cell disease came to attention. Patients not only experience acute painful episodes, but have a baseline chronic pain that is essentially every single day. Focusing first on acute pain, Dr. Brando shares some characteristics of intermittent pain experienced by sickle cell patients. Oftentimes it's very sudden in onset where they're doing their normal daily activities and then they'll have very severe sudden onset of pain. Where is this acute pain typically felt? Really anywhere in their body. Oftentimes it's located in bony areas, the chest, the ribs, the back, the spine, the long bones in the legs, the arms, sometimes in the head and even non-bony areas. The level of this pain is typically severe, really debilitating pain that more times than not for younger children brings them into the hospital for treatment of that pain. At what age does acute pain related to a patient's sickle cell disease begin showing up? The acute painful events can start very, very young, somewhere between 8 to 12 months of age, but not in every patient, and that's one of the challenges is we don't have good ways to predict. However, what is known is that we find increase in acute painful episode frequency as they continue to age. So what triggers these acute sickle cell pain crises? It's not extremely well known what exactly triggers the pain, but some of the things that we have understood epidemiologically, infection, dehydration can also exacerbate the sickling of their red blood cells. And cold temperatures, a more sudden or abrupt change in body temperature brings on an acute painful event. 
She shares an example of this. Swimming is one of the triggers that oftentimes brings our patients into the hospital in acute pain. Jumping into a swimming pool and going to a relatively warmer body temperature to a cooler body temperature can trigger pain. Not to mention the effect weather can have on someone with sickle cell disease. Certainly living in a state like Wisconsin, we have rapid fluctuations of temperature, certainly transitioning between the seasons, and oftentimes that's a trigger at that exacerbates their acute pain. Dr. Brando says as patients age, they often develop chronic or persistent pain on top of acute pain episodes. There's a transition that occurs primarily in adolescent and adult age groups where their acute intermittent pain, where they have pain-free episodes between their acute pain episodes becomes more chronic and they have this acute to chronic pain transition where they have the acute intermittent painful episodes superimposed on on this chronic daily pain. But this chronic pain isn't perceived the same by patients as their acute pain. The characteristics appear to be different. Their chronic pain may have components of neuropathic pain. That means their pain may be caused more by changes in the nerves that extend out into their arms and their legs, spinal cord or their brain that actually can cause this abnormal pain mechanism to occur and lead to types of pain chronic in origin. She adds that patients appear to be able to sometimes distinguish between what feels to them like their chronic pain and what feels to them more like an acute pain event. As far as treating the pain, Dr. Brando says there aren't many options for acute pain treatment. The mainstay of treatment of acute pain is an opioid. When a patient enters an emergency room and then is admitted to the hospital, they're usually maintained on some sort of intravenous opioid. However, there are patients that it doesn't work for. That is where we run into barriers. Or for chronic pain treatment. We use opioid therapy, but there is interest in utilizing other drugs to treat this neuropathic type pain that are actually antidepressants because there's thought to be a component of pain caused by abnormalities in the central nervous system. There's also non-pharmacologic treatments being tried to treat Treat chronic pain. Psychological based therapy, acupuncture, virtual reality, yoga, those all need to be studied more extensively in sickle cell disease chronic pain to see if they actually make a difference. And some of them might. Because remember, sickle cell disease can span the entire body for an entire lifetime. Imagine you're born with a disease you know you're going to have your whole life that has multiple potential complications and oftentimes it's very unpredictable. If you live that way, spanning across a lifetime, that takes an emotional toll on you and then you add acute pain and chronic pain into that mix. There's a lot of anxiety and depression that also can make pain worse. The need for more research into pain prevention means that, in the interim, sickle cell patients will continue to battle acute and chronic pain. Sickle cell disease pain research has lagged behind. Certainly chronic pain has been understudied and mechanisms of acute pain, despite it being the most common complication. But that's also one of the reasons I was interested in studying it, because it was understudied. So let's look at some of the pain research Dr. Brando, Dr. Panapinto, and others have been conducting. 
For this, let's bring in Kayla Pierce. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, Dr. Brando recently led a study published in the medical journal Pain on research related to pediatric sickle cell patients' sensitivity to cold stimuli during times of baseline health compared to times of acute pain. I wanted to test the differences in their cold pain sensitivity between their baseline health state and compare that to their cold pain sensitivity when they were admitted to the hospital for an acute pain event. In addition to testing for cold sensitivity, we also looked at heat pain sensitivity and mechanical pain sensitivity, which is hypersensitivity to touch. Dr. Brando says that her research parallels the research of one of her cohorts. Some of this comes from translational work with Dr. Cheryl Stuckey, a brilliant pain biologist who studies sickle cell pain mechanisms in a mouse model of sickle cell disease. So some of the work that she has found in her mice parallels what we have found in patients extremely well. So with sickle cell patients often reporting that cold or mechanical stimuli can intensify their acute pain. I wanted to understand could we objectively measure that because then it gives us an objective way to potentially interrogate pain pathways that we could further understand in the mouse model to determine whether or not there's potential treatments that we could test and bring back to the patients. Focusing on sensitivity to cold stimuli. In this study we asked patients to report if cold to warm or warm to cold exacerbates their pain. What were the findings? 63% of patients said temperature changes from warm to cold exacerbate their pain, whereas only 26% said cold to warm exacerbate their pain. So their warm to cold change brings on their pain. Dr. Brando says the study also compared patients' sensitivity to cold during baseline health to healthy people without sickle cell disease. And what we found is that patients have increased cold pain sensitivity compared to people who don't have sickle cell disease, even when they're in their healthy baseline state. So there does seem to be increased sensitivity to cold even when they're not in pain. What kind of everyday cold stimuli can trigger pain for sickle cell patients? Ambient temperature that could globally affect their body, going in a swimming pool or air conditioning or going outside in the cold temperature. So some of our children will not go outside in the winter. What about the patient's sensitivity to heat stimuli during their healthy baseline state? There seem to be increased heat sensitivity in people living with sickle cell disease. However, when we tested the patients from their baseline state to an acute pain state, there was no heat pain sensitivity, which makes sense with how they actually want to treat their pain with heat. Next, Dr. Brando shares how they test the study participants' sensitivity to cold and heat stimuli. We use a thermode actually. We applied it to their hand and the outside of their foot and it's actually hooked up to a machine and a computer and the patient has a mouse. As that temperature increases or decreases, the patient is asked to press the mouse when that change is painful. Once they press that mouse, it immediately stops changing temperature and resets to essentially body temperature. And so we're really looking for that threshold where the patient stops. The study uses a different tool to measure the sickle cell patient's sensitivity to mechanical stimuli or touch. We use von Frey monofilaments. There's different strings attached to a stick. That string varies in diameter. Each has a very specific pressure associated with that diameter. It's applied to the patient's hand and the top of the foot. 
as that string increases in diameter, it administers higher and higher amounts of pressure. So for some patients, the tiniest filaments they can't even feel. And then when you get larger and larger filaments, some patients withdraw. That's what we're looking for is hypersensitivity to touch or pressure. So are sickle cell patients sensitive to touch even during their times of baseline health? Patients that have more of a chronic daily pain do report this sort of hypersensitivity, which is characteristic of neuropathic pain. And we need more research in that area when they're in their baseline state and how we can measure the hypersensitivity to touch. As far as where patients feel sensitivity to touch the most? It can be really anywhere, but oftentimes it's in the long bones, so the legs, the back, the arms. Some of our patients also have joint problems, which also lead to chronic pain. They can get degenerative joints in their hips and their shoulders, many of them needing joint replacements at a very young age to need something like that. But that seems to be a different type of pain than the chronic pain that is more neuropathic that has some of this hypersensitivity associated with it. To sum it all up, what were the significant findings from this research study? The main findings, during hospitalization for acute pain, children and adolescents report increased sensitivity to cold pain stimuli, and they have increased sensitivity to mechanical pain stimuli. Compared to their baseline state, we found no changes in their heat pain sensitivity. Dr. Brando says she's pleased with the clinical data they've collected. It very much parallels to how our patients report their pain when they're admitted. You know, cold exacerbates their pain, they don't want to be touched, and they want heat to treat their pain. So it's really cool when your research data matches what patients are telling you, because that doesn't always happen. And equally important. Our findings also parallel what was found in the sickle cell mouse. And so that allows us this beautiful translational model to really get at the underlying biology of what's causing the pain sensitivity even further. In hopes of discovering new and better ways to treat sickle cell disease pain sensitivity. Right now we have two FDA approved drugs to treat sickle cell disease. That's not very much. The hope is that all of this research will lead to new treatments. If we can understand the why, we can then design new treatments to treat the why. Imagine being born with a disease that you're most likely to have the entire span of your lifetime. A disease that has multiple different complications and is often unpredictable. You'd think a disease like that could defeat someone. But if you think that, then clearly you haven't met our next guest. This is Nia. All in all, your typical red-blooded American teenager. I'm a senior at Shorewood High School. Some hobbies that I like, playing my violin, softball, travel, and hanging out with my friends. What's not typical about Nia is that her red blood cells are afflicted with sickle cell disease. She remembers, as a small child, the first time she felt the effects of her disease. My family, we went on a cruise. We were swimming on the cruise ship, ice cold water. Of course, I didn't know I couldn't swim in that, so we swam, we swam, and like I was just really, really sick. And so I had to go off the ship in Bermuda. And so I had a sickle cell crisis. That's probably like my earliest moment with sickle cell. 
It's a textbook example of what Dr. Brando told us earlier. Swimming is one of the triggers that oftentimes brings our patients into the hospital in acute pain. But Mia says it was a few years before she understood what having sickle cell disease meant. I went to the sickle cell event. The person who ran this event, her daughter died due to sickle cell. And so I learned about sickle cell and then I actually really have this disease. I think I was 11 at that time. That's when I like realized, oh, this is serious. This isn't a joke. <laughs> Indeed, it's no joke at all. In fact, Nia's become vigilant in her daily routine to avoid having sickle cell pain crises. There's pills called hydroxyurea, and you take them every single day to not have a sickle cell crisis, so I need to be like, oh, I need to take my pills today. And so far, her medication is working well for her. My hydroxyurea has done me really, really good. Like, I haven't had any crisis, which is good. It's helped a lot so I wouldn't have sickle cell crisis. In addition to taking her daily medication, Nia says she must always be prepared for any cold conditions she may encounter. It does impact my everyday. Whenever I do something, I just think, hey, is it gonna be cold? Even if I'm going to a concert and it's cold inside, like, hey, make sure you pack a sweater like that. Of course, some days, no amount of preparedness can fully protect her from the extreme cold of Wisconsin's winter weather. Wisconsin. Some days it's really, really cold, like negative 16. And of course, some days I actually push myself to be out in the weather so I wouldn't be missing classes. Probably not the best idea, but I ended up doing it anyway. But some days I just choose not to go to school. It's really cold and that can cause crisis. Again, directly reflecting what Dr. Brando shared. Cold temperatures can exacerbate pain. Or a more sudden or abrupt change in body temperature brings on an acute painful event. So some of our children will not go outside in the winter. And Nia says sometimes her sensitivity to cold causes her to miss out on things. For high school, they have a requirement class where you have to learn how to swim and take a swim test. I couldn't do it because it was held during the winter time. So I had to get excused and work out at the fitness center instead of doing the activity that my friends got to do. Besides the cold, Nia says there's something else that can trigger a sickle cell pain episode for her. Stress, like if I'm really, really stressed out, I could have a sickle cell crisis, which has happened to me. Like I would be stressed over a class and then like two days later, I'll have a sickle cell crisis. When she has pain. It just feels awful. Like someone's just stabbing me like in my arm, my joints, in my lower back. It just depends but your arm could hurt and your leg. It's not just one place, it could be more than one. Then there's the psychological toll. Nia says it definitely helps to keep a positive attitude. When I do have crisis, I'm just like, dang it, like why does this happen? But if I just think positive vibes, then I will be fine. Because if I do think about it, that's stress so that I'm basically gonna have a crisis. And at just 17 years old, to say she handles her disease maturely, well, that's an understatement. I don't think about it every single day. It's not like, darn, Nia, you have sickle cell. But I think, how can I adapt to it? And how can I provide for myself to not have a sickle cell crisis? She does get help and support from her family. My brother, he'll be on my butt. Nia, did you take your pills? And I'll be like, oh, no, I forgot. And he'll make sure I'm doing what I need to be doing. On the other end of the spectrum are the people who don't know what it's like for her and others living with an invisible disease like sickle cell. 
Yeah, they're not gonna understand what I go through, like, oh, this blood cell gets stuck in this joint because of blah, blah, blah. And plus, if you do have pain, you can't see it physically. So Nia hopes to make a difference toward increasing understanding of sickle cell disease by participating in clinical research. I think it's really, really important because if we have more research, they're more likely to solve problems with sickle cell. So I have done clinical studies. She's also helping her peers through a support group she started called Thicker Than Blood. I just thought other people are going through sickle cell crisis. Why not create a teen sickle cell support group? And it's teens supporting teens who have sickle cell. And she knows of a way for you to potentially make a difference. Donating blood. So like if African Americans don't have sickle cell, it's really good for them to donate because I got blood donated and it was a perfect match and I got new blood in me, which was really, really good. Finally, Nia says she's determined to live as happy and normal of a life as possible. Does she think sickle cell disease could stand in her way? I don't think so. Not really. I'm not going to let this disease drag me down, make me feel all gloomy and depressed over sickle cell. Hear that, sickle cell disease? Nia is winning. That's all for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to today's guests, Dr. Julie Panapinto, Dr. Amanda Brando, and special thanks to Nia for sharing her experience winning at life with sickle cell disease. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, along with Kayla Pierce, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to this program online and on demand, please visit the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSC Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.